He's been here several times before to speak to us, and we enjoy having him here. And we wish we were here more often, but I know you have other things to do, so come and share the word with us this morning. Thank you very much. We are thrilled to be able to uh, uh, be with you again. Um, sorry, I'm going to have a little learning curve here. Um, come back. Yeah. Can you get me set up here, and then I'll be okay. Uh, there. Thank you. Now, where is that? Yeah. We'll start again. Good morning. We are pleased to be here. I was talking with uh, uh, Pastor uh, Dean about when we could be able to join you and see how you folks are going. You've become very uh, important to us. And we've been praying for you, and all of BCP has been praying for you as we get together on our daily uh, prayer times. Your name comes up often at Northridge, and we appreciate uh, uh, your diligence and your intentional desire to reach your community for Jesus Christ and be a disciple-making church. So we are honored to be able to be here today. Uh, Originally, when I started talking with Pastor Dean, it seemed like my schedule was pretty filled up. But because I made a mistake on my calendar and uh, had uh, made a certain commitment that I didn't know I had and worked through all that, opened up uh, this Sunday particularly. And so Lord, uh, in his uh, graciousness and his sovereignty, allowed us to be able to be here with you. I only wish I could have been here when uh, Pastor Dean was here, because I would love to sat at where you are right now and listen to his wonderful preaching. Uh, but uh, you guys got to put up with this, and uh, so we'll, we'll, we'll go from there. But uh, as... Uh, Sean was saying we've been here a few times, and uh, uh, the last time, I believe, was about 10 months ago when I was in this pulpit, and I was uh, sharing with you uh, from our Nehemiah series. Uh, as a director of Intentional Transitional Ministries, I've had the privilege to come into church and help uh, them in transitions, and one of the books of the Bible I, I love to bring to those folks that are preparing for their next pastor is the book of Nehemiah. So in those two Sundays that I was with you uh, about almost a year ago, uh, we covered a couple of the chapters, but I skipped this chapter, Nehemiah chapter 5. So as I considered what we would bring as we were here together with you today, I thought, uh, let's take some time and look at chapter 5. If you're familiar with Nehemiah, Nehemiah had gone through the process of uh, uh, leaving where he was settled he was the king's cupbearer uh, in a land almost a thousand miles away from where he ended up in Jerusalem. Uh, he was willing to be obedient to uh, what God had placed on his heart to come and help a group of people that for almost a hundred years hadn't been able to get a job done. And so he was going to come alongside them and help them accomplish something that they really struggled to do. Uh, we know from reading the scripture that he had many times where he had some conflict with people like their Sanballats and Tobias and, and, uh, and such, and those enemies that come from the outside that didn't want anything to be successful. Well, chapter 5 is uh, something that is kind of interesting because as you see the, the continual challenges that Nehemiah is facing, now all of a sudden uh, everything changes from talking about that which was without to that which is happening within. 
And as a, uh, as a Christian conciliator that works with churches, uh, I have been very familiar with how that churches that are uh, desiring to please God and desiring to be disciple-making churches have all of the enemies or challenges from the outside, but many times the things that do the most damage are the things that are on the inside. Uh, the turmoil that develops under stress and under challenges. And so that has been my desire and my privilege to come along alongside church, churches uh, in a variety of facets to uh, help them uh, look to God's Word, look to the, the help of the Holy Spirit, uh, to look at how that they can love one another. And often I've said it this way, my role at times is to come alongside churches and help them be obedient to the great commands, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself so that they can be obedient in the Great Commission, reaching people for Jesus Christ. And so this passage is somewhat special to me in the sense that it hits where a lot of my passion is in coming alongside churches. So I'm uh, encouraged to be able to talk about this today. Just came from a uh, workshop yesterday uh, where I spent four hours uh, talking about uh, relationships and conflict resolution. Uh, I am not sharing that four-hour message with you today. Uh, and all God's people said, amen. And, uh, uh, but, but I will be uh, sharing with you the same passion that I have uh, when I was working with these dear folk that were uh, t- desiring to be equipped so that they could work with those things that are going on in their lives. Before we do that, I'd like to encourage you to turn to Nehemiah chapter 5, if you're not already there, and I'd like to ask God's blessing upon our time, and then we'll look at how Nehemiah 5 uh, gives us some insights as to uh, uh, in, into where, where, we, where, where we should go. Father, I thank you again for the privilege of being able to uh, uh, be here with our friends at Northridge. And thank you for Sean and his family and, and the others that are here that have been so receptive to us. Uh, we've been, uh, in a sense, working together for well over a year, uh, thinking and praying and talking and, and just con- constantly uh, just dwelling upon how this church can have an impact in this community. And Lord, we are so encouraged to, uh, to have individuals here that ha- are dedicated to the work of the ministry. And Lord, uh, it is a, a humble opportunity to be here uh, to share from this pulpit. Uh, Lord, we know that there are many, many good options for them uh, to call upon, to preach, uh, to share the word, uh, men who are uh, far more advanced in their uh, understanding of the scriptures than myself. So I'm humbled to be able to be here today, and I pray, Lord, though, that your word will be mighty and that it will be helpful to ask us as we think through not only some of the internal turmoils we might have even in our own hearts, as that where, as that where a lot of our, our conflict comes, but also as we consider how to work along together with our, our fellow um, members of the body. Lord, we thank you for that beautiful passage in Romans chapter 12 that uh, uh, not only beseeches us to be living sacrifices, but gives us practical instruction on what that looks like uh, 
And a lot of times it looks like us being able to, with as much as lies within us, to live at peace with one another. Our ability not to be overcome by evil, but to overcome evil with good. So we thank you for the celebration of that passage and for the direction that it provides for our life. And now that as we turn our hearts towards Nehemiah, and as we admire this man for his leadership and for his ability to uh, get people to get a job done, We also admire him for his determination to do the right thing when it came to people and conflict that they're going through. And I ask, Lord, that you will give us that good balance in our lives as we not only cease to get things done, but that we cease to uh, have strong relationships and not find ourselves just plowing over people to get that done. Lord, that we might recognize that you love people, and it's our role to love them as well. And we just pray for your help. In Jesus' name, amen. For some reason, this whole thing decided to revert back to where it was. There you go. I think I got it now. Okay. Yeah, thanks. It was just a lot of scrolling. It's kind of like, you know, when you're looking on your phone and you, you remembered that thing in Facebook and you just keep having to scroll, scroll, scroll. Um, and uh, you do need to come back here again, Lynn. Yeah, it is, it, it's got slide change error and now it's back to offering again. I guess you're supposed to take offering five times today um, because, uh, you know, it keeps on coming up on offering. So. Yeah. Either way is fine, just as long as it goes on the slide I want. <laughs> if it's better the other way, we'll go. We'll go right there. All right. So, with Nehemiah chapter 5, what we're talking about is building and internal conflicts. And I've already given a great big long introduction on that, so we'll move right to the next one. We're going to look at uh, when Nehemiah, in Nehemiah chapter 5, he realized the problems. Not unlike, if you're familiar with the book of Acts, in Acts there, chapter 6, uh, there was a problem that came up amongst the, uh, the widows that were in the early church, and so the problem became evident. And that's not unusual in churches when uh, uh, we're working working through, uh, just trying to do what, what you got to do, and all of a sudden, you're made aware of a conflict or an issue. And it's so tempting to want to say, don't bother me with this. We've got too many things to do. I mean, we've got to really accomplish all these things. But to, to recognize that sometimes those things that seem to be distractions or interruptions that are of a relational matter are critical to the process of spiritual growth and the whole disciple-making process. Uh, so we, we want to uh, look at what Nehemiah did with that uh, in regard to realizing the problem. If you read it there, uh, he says, And there was a great outcry of the people and their wives against the Jewish brethren. 
this outcry was a fact that they had a conflict in what was going on. They may have considered all the things that Sanballat and Tobiah and all the things that they had to do. They all, remember, if you remember in chapter 3, they were working on every aspect of the, of the wall, side by side, section by section, and going through all of that work. Uh, we know that there was a time they were threatened and they had a sword in one hand and a trowel in another as they lift those uh, big heavy uh, stones to put them into place. And now in the midst of all of that, they have this outcry. And what we would call is a conflict has taken place. Uh, conflict is, is uh, really defined as, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm really having a conflict with this thing here right now. Um, <laughs> it is not. It is not progressing. Uh, did it? No, it's, it's not moving. Uh, can you just move to the next slide, and I will just, yeah, just go ahead. And you guys are gonna have to control because it's not letting me control, and it keeps on bringing up slide error. Uh, so, uh, conflict is a difference of opinion or purpose that frustrates someone's goals or desires. So, so as you can tell, I'm having a major conflict with someone's little iPad here or whatever and, uh, and getting it to work. So I'll be honest with you, it is frustrating my goals and my desires. Because uh, anytime you're preaching, you want to be able to have everything go smooth and you want to be able to come across like you know what you're doing and all this kind of stuff. And this makes it difficult. Uh, so, so what we're dealing with in regard to a conflict, you might have a conflict with your computer. Uh, there are people that can help you with that. But you might also have a conflict with other individuals. And uh, there are biblical principles that are designed to help us with this. Kind of looking at some of the sources of conflict uh, as, you, uh, as you look through this, is that uh, there might be an unintentional neglect, as we referred to in Acts chapter 6. The widows... We're not being cared for equally. And as a result, we know from that, that became ultimately a good thing. It'd be so easy for the apostles to say, don't bother me with this thing. We are reaching people for Christ. We are baptizing people left and right. We are adding to the church, and we just don't have time to work on this type of a thing. But instead, they drop what was going on, recognize what the priority was. We can't leave off ministering the Word of God. We can't leave off praying, but we can put people in charge of this particular thing. So you have this uh, example where, uh, again where they are coming across a conflict, but coming up with a solution that goes along with that. Acts chapter 15, if you're familiar with the story, an account there, uh, there was a question as to whether or not uh, those who are Gentiles had to fall in and go through the same process of Christianity as all the Jews went through. And this was a big battle. This was a big theological issue that the, uh, the church in Jerusalem and the council got together and they talked through this. And that particular uh, conflict was, was dealing with... Yeah, I'm, I'm going to totally get rid of this thing. And I'm going to go down and get my notes. Um, Lynn, I would accuse you of an April Fool's joke, but that was yesterday. Okay. Or a couple days ago. Okay. 
All right, so you got unintentional neglect, you got misunderstanding, uh, the need for communication in Acts chapter 15, where he, where, where uh, Paul and, and, and those got together, and then as soon as they come to a conclusion, they sent people out to go amongst the churches to ensure that they understood what was uh, really the answer to that uh, question of conflict. First uh, Corinthians 12, differences in opinions, preferences, etc., the need for patience, uh, that... Uh, element of spiritual gifts that people thought, my gift is more important than someone else, or uh, maybe my gift isn't that important, or we don't need these kind of gifts, and helping them work through that, and instruction was provided. Genesis chapter 13, where you have Abraham and Lot, and the competition over resources, where how are we going to get all these people to stay in the same land, and to be able to make sure all of our animals are properly fed, and we're not having these arguments. And uh, so that there was a need for a plan on what to do next, and there was deference on the part of Abraham to allow Ch- uh, Lot to choose first. And then sinful attitudes and desires, uh, James chapter 4, wherein there's times when we just simply want something, and we want it so much that it goes from being a desire to becoming a demand. And people who are not allowing us to get it become the enemy. And we start fighting with them, trying to get our desire, when in reality what we need to do is trust God in regard to those type of things. So we're going to look at now identifying some of the issues that were uh, in that situation with uh, Nehemiah. Uh, Look with me in Nehemiah chapter 5, verse 2. There were also some who said, we have mortgaged our lands and vineyards and houses that we might buy grain because of the famine. Uh, There were also those who said, we have borrowed money for the king's tax on our lands and vineyards, yet now our flesh is as the flesh of our brethren, our children as their children, and indeed we are forcing our sons and our daughters to be slaves. And some of our daughters have, and some of our daughters have been brought into slavery. It is not in our power to redeem them, for other men have the uh, lands and vineyards. So you see, when you look at that, uh, some of them had no food. Some of them had mortgaged their land, and some of them borrowed money to pay taxes, and their children were forced into slavery, and they can't buy it back. So here's the situation that Nehemiah is dealing with, is that amongst the people, the people that he'd rallied together to help build the wall uh, and had unified them, there was a great division amongst them because of how some were treating others. And that became a huge conflict for them them. And and as we consider how conflict is usually posed, I'll uh, put this little chart up that shows us about what an issue is. Uh, An issue is usually something that is described in the form of a question. And in this particular case, the question would be, what should be done about those who owe money to someone else and are being charged high interest for it? And obviously, in that situation, you have group A who says, I know what my position is. I think the answer is they ought to pay it all back and and be continuously keeping their commitment. The people B who might be in uh, in debt might be saying, we need to have that forgiven. We need relief. We're, our families are being destroyed. There's no mercy. There's no compassion here. Uh, and so on the positions that are, are there, there's always the interests that are driving them. What I've found as I work with people, 
people in conflict, the tendency is for party A to assume the interests of party B and vice versa, where they, they pretty much, I know why they're doing what they're doing. They just want to be mean to me or they're wanting to, uh, uh, they're just selfish or et cetera. And so as a result, we have a tendency of thinking that we understand really why we're in this trouble. And the irony of that or the difficulty with that is party A believes that with party B and party B thinks that of party A. And quite frankly, they're just thinking if the other person could just see it from my way, then we wouldn't have a conflict. Uh, there are times when I'm working with uh, a couple parties and party A would say, you know, if the other party would just simply listen to me and do it my way, we wouldn't need Scott to get involved. And over here, party B's thinking, he says, you know, if we just would have party A listen and do the things that I've been trying to tell them, uh, we wouldn't have Scott involved. My first question is, what's so bad about Scott? But then again, the the other idea is to realize that is why someone needs a third party to come in and help them be able to communicate through that situation. But there are times when we kind of figure out how to do this. Let's look at the interests of those that are in debt. Uh, those that are in debt, they had, they, they, they looked at their, their circumstances, they would say, of the other people. Hey, it's not our fault. It's circumstances. We didn't control this. Uh, this is something that, uh, you know, God just allowed. And we all have to work with whatever circumstances that we have. You have to, uh, uh, you know, that, that uh, you know, these circumstances are, are too hard, and they've made it uh, hard on us. Uh, the second thing they might have is the enemies are forcing us to do all these things, and it's, uh, it's difficult, and they're focused on how the enemies makes them vulnerable. Uh, their loss, uh, they, they, the, uh, the unfair interest, there's no hope. And so here's where, where this, uh, uh, these, the, that's why they're crying out, is because they feel that there is no hope and there has to be some kind of answer and they cannot change it from the position that they're in. Now look at the interests of the lenders. What, what, is, what is driving the lenders? The lender says, well, it's your part, your choice. You, you had a choice when you decided, and I don't know how they did their lending, whether they had to sign on a line or uh, give somebody a shoe or what, you know, I mean, just something along that line. But the idea was that they had gone into a contract. You sign a contract, it's your choice. And then they would be the one talking about how God is the one who allowed those circumstances, take it up with him. You know, he's the one that does this. And, and in the third Third one, you should budget for it. You know, Proverbs, uh, you know, is full of those uh, uh, ideas of, uh, of of really what wisdom is. You know, and, and of course, I don't think they had go to the ant you slugger at that particular time. But the whole idea is, is that you know you reap what you sow kind of concept, and that's what you should have done. You should be more careful. And quite frankly, the final thing is, it's our money. I mean, we we got the money, and it's our money, and why should we share our money with someone else? And so you have difference of interest, and that causes difficulties. And when you think about what we go through in church, we don't have the same temptation. Although I have seen times when I've worked in a conciliation between uh, uh, one party and another party, might be a part of the same church, and it had to be a business deal, and someone was upset about that business deal, and they felt like it wasn't being done fairly, and had similar interests like this, uh, where someone felt they got into an unfair c- contract and all these type of things. And uh, so it's not like it's not going to happen in a local church, but I'm saying it's not going to be the same basic idea with what they faced as far as that. But we also have times where we might be dealing with 
other challenges. Uh, in a local church, it's not unusual to have the competition over resources. Uh, you know, how we're going to do things. Uh, what, uh, you know, what, who should do what? And all these types of things that become conflict uh, in, in our situation. So let's look at how Nehemiah started addressing the problem under number three. Uh, he says, and I became very angry uh, when I heard their outcry and these words. After serious thought, I rebuked the nobles and rulers and said to them, each of you is exacting usury from his brother. So I called a great assembly against them. And so what was happening here is that uh, Nehemiah looked at the situation. He didn't just put on a back burner. He didn't just say, okay, guys, you're just complainers, whiners. You're in this situation. Just deal with it. He, he thought it through and uh, with serious thought. I think what that gives to us is the idea of God wants us, whenever we are in a conflict, not to just jump in and try to answer a matter before we've had a chance to hear it and and to think through it. Uh, When I have been working with a conflict that has gotten really, really huge for people, it's usually because a lot of stuff has been done quicker rather than slower. Now, admittedly, there are some times when things don't get dealt with at all, and people get upset and frustrated, etc., and it complicates it. But I'm talking in a situation where Nehemiah could have easily came in and said, this is what I'm ruling, this is ought to have to happen, uh, we're going to um, you know, take care of these things. But in this case, he says he gave serious thought to it, but he did rebuke the nobles and rulers and said to them, uh, each of you exacting uh, uh, usury. And as we think about uh, that, uh, the next slide says, Then I said, uh, what you are doing is not good. Should you not walk in the fear of our God because of the reproach of the nations, our enemies? So not only do you have the issue of taking time, one of the areas I believe Nehemiah was thinking about is what is the ramification? What is the ramification not just on us, okay? But what's the ramification when it comes to the impact on how people see God, how people see us as his children, and on how it communicates our faith and trust in God. Uh, Admittedly, as I look over what all has happened in our Christian realm, not talking about any specific churches right now, but in Christianity as a whole, as to how we na- uh, navigated the uh, challenges of the last couple of years, what ends up on Facebook or what ends up being a, a turmoil in a particular local church where people have stepped down because of, of certain frustrations over how churches made decisions in regard to our pandemic and all sorts of different things that have come along that line. Uh, one of the elements that has been of great concern, what does this communicate? to our society around us? What does this communicate to the unbelievers? When we know from John chapter 13, when Jesus was talking to his disciples and he said, by this they will know you are my disciples by the love that you have for one another. And often we find that we are not exercising love for one another as we nitpick and, and fight and uh, uh, you know, create uh, um, you know, scenarios and call names and all those kind of things, it communicates a total different thing than what God really wants to happen. And so Nehemiah is thinking through that, and he says, uh, what, what is this reproach of the nations? We, we, are, uh, we are here to glorify God. In other words, the whole point of building the wall is so that people will notice that there is a God, uh, that God is in this, and God is working it, and God will be glorified. 
And I see that as being so much similar to what our role as local churches is to not build a wall, but as we're to be building a disciple-making ministry of reaching other people. And in the midst of that, uh, we get so sidetracked and we become hijacked in our emotions and we become uh, distracted from the goal of reaching people from Christ for Christ that we now communicate to people the opposite of what we want to communicate. We want to communicate the fact that we are striving towards unity in the body as Jesus prayed in John chapter 17, but instead what we might be communicating is something totally different. I think that Nehemiah was saying there when he talked about the reproach of the nations, and of course, often... Often, when we are responding to conflict in the fact that we are fearful of what the other person has done, what the person, other person might do, uh, or when we are fearful of what might happen in the end, we have, we have again put our emphasis not upon leaning on God, but leaning on and fearing what other people could do. And so Nehemiah is reminding us in this passage that it is important for us, no matter what trial we're going through, no matter what we're experiencing, is to make sure first we are concerned about what God thinks about what's going on. It will show that we truly are following him. Going back to that James chapter 4 passage uh, where uh, James is reminding us that the wars that come are from our desires within. Then he says the thing that we do not have because we do not ask. Now, he's not saying is that we didn't say pretty please to the person that we want something, okay? He's really talking about the fact that we haven't asked of God. James chapter 1 talks about all the gifts that are uh, from above for the Father. And, and James is constantly reminding them that God wants to care for their needs. And uh, as a result, when it gets to James chapter 4, and he says that I am demanding of somebody else that they meet my emotional, respectful, uh, or physical needs or whatever, and not realize when I do that, and I don't depend upon God, I am allowing my desires to become an idol in my life instead of depending upon him. Uh, Jesus does this in, in Matthew where he's giving the Sermon on the Mount. And he's talking about why are, why are you worried about all these things that God provides for you? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Because when you don't do that, you act like someone who doesn't have a heavenly father. And we as believers, I think, all too often convey to those around us that we do not have a heavenly father. Uh, what does the Bible say? Uh, we'll just go through this very quickly under point A. Uh, there are several things, and this comes out of Deuteronomy, and you're welcome to turn to Deuteronomy chapter 14 as, as we look at uh, several of these items, as, as, as we would look at for those who are the uh, ones who have loaned the money. And as they're looking at maybe the fear of if we don't do what is right, if I don't take care of my own money, uh, and if I do something that is uh, going to jeopardize that, for example, it'd be very easy to think, well, if I just, you know, 
give back that loan money and said, I could be in their situation, and that wouldn't be wise. That's not good stewardship. And so there's a lot of things that could be legitimate concerns, but as you go to Deuteronomy and look what God says uh, in chapters 14, uh, verses 28 and 29, uh, these are my summaries. You can read it to get the full context, but he's talking about those Levites and others that do not have a way of income per se. It says that the, you, you feed them that the Lord your God may bless you. That there was, a, in a sense, a cause and effect that when we are generous in those type of things, God will bless. In chapter 15, verse 4, when we release the debts and obedience to that seven-year thing, for the Lord your God will bless you. Moving down into verses 7 through 11, giving to the poor, because for this the Lord your God will bless you. Uh, 23, 19 through 20, don't charge interest that the Lord your God may bless you. And chapter 24, 10 through 13, treat debtors mercifully. It shall be righteous for you before the Lord your God. And so that when we, we take into account that which we know that the people of um, Israel would have had at that particular juncture. We know that they would have uh, the uh, the first five books of Moses. We know that they would have that available to them to know that this is how God sees this matter. So with those who have loaned the money, it would be very easy for them to look at that and say, I can be generous and I can be merciful in this situation because I know that the Lord my God will bless me. And how often we are really reluctant to give mercifully to another person. It doesn't have to be a substantive thing or a material thing, but sometimes just giving them the benefit of the doubt or trusting him in a particular area. We want to hold back because we're not sure. We're not sure if that's a, if that's a good idea because, that, you know, you, you ever heard the, the saying, give an inch, they'll take a mile, you know, type of thing. Or another statement is, burn me once, shame on you, burn me twice, shame on me. That we have this self-preservation idea uh, that somehow I've got to put up walls between me and somebody else to protect myself. And I think that as we look at being merciful and wanting to uh, trust God, that we, we need to realize that we have a heavenly father that cares about all those things. He just wants us to treat others with the same kind of mercy that he treats us. You're familiar with uh, Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrates his love toward us while we were yet sinners. Christ died for us. His love was at a time when we were not that lovable. And we are going to run across some people that are not that lovable. And we, we learn how to love through that situation. Uh, point B says, what am I doing? First, take the log out of your own eye, says Jesus in Matthew chapter 7, verse 5. And then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. That is in a situation where, where uh, Jesus is saying, judge not lest you be judged, for that the judgment you judge, you will be judged. And often people want to say, see, the Bible says don't judge other people. Uh, that's usually said by somebody who's kind of in the wrong, and they don't want to be judged. But the idea here is Jesus isn't saying we shouldn't have discernment. He's just saying we need to realize that if I'm willing to uh, put my you know, eye on somebody else's issues, they're going to be pretty apt to put their eye on my issues as well. And so to keep that in mind, that, that if I am interested at all in trying to work with something in their life, I need to make sure I don't have something in my life that is going to make that hard for them. 
And, and sometimes they're just times in our, in our process of interacting with people that we do not have what we call passport to come and work on their eye. I don't know if you've ever worn contact lenses or not, but uh, uh, when I wore contact lenses, I preferred to put the contact in myself. Uh, and I also, had, when I lost one in my eye, if you've ever done that, I preferred to take it out myself. Uh, and as much as I trust my loving wife with a lot of things, her poking around my eye was not one of them. Uh, now, imagine if you think of somebody, as Jesus said, that has a log in their eye. Now you're not only looking at someone uh, working at a very tender place of your life. They're doing so with something that's sticking out and probably beating you in the head with it. Okay, so, so Jesus is being very real, I think, in that illustration, is that that's how we feel. If someone is going to come and help me, but I'm not sure that they don't have some issues in their own life, uh, we are uh, going to be very reluctant to help them take that speck out of our eye. And that's where, where Jesus is saying, if you really genuinely want to help somebody, look at where your contribution is first and desire to, to see that. And if we look at Nehemiah chapter 5, verse 10, uh, just kind of uh, look at that verse. Here's what he says in, in regard to that. Uh, I also, with my brethren and my servants, am lending them money and grain. Please let us stop this usury. Restore now to them, even this day, their lands, their vineyards, their olive groves, and their houses. Also a hundredth of the money and the grain and new wine and the oil that that you have charged them. And and Nehemiah, of course, we know that he was very... uh, transparent in the first chapter when he was praying to God and talked about how that they as a nation had sinned against God and he included himself in that process and uh, here he's talking about loaning I don't know if he also was charging usury I kind of think not but at any rate he's saying we're all in this process and we need to think through how we're going to help this this situation and so he had that uh, um that encouragement for them in regard to that. And then letter C is, what should be my attitude? If I really genuinely want to have peace with another person and I think that there's something that they could change to help towards that, Galatians 6.1 says, Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Now, admittedly, the Nehemiah passage is a, a little bit different than gentleness. I don't see Nehemiah just necessarily coming across that gentle. He's pretty uh, abrupt, but who knows? He could have been gentle with some very strong words because uh, we weren't there to see how he dealt with it. But we do know in New Testament, when we are given the responsibility to come alongside somebody, we do not do so with pride. We do not do so with the idea that we are that much better than the other person. And we do not do so in such a way where we are you know, conveying that, uh, that we have the corner on the market of what is right. We are coming with a very humble attitude, with gentleness, and trying to help out in that situation. And again, uh, another step to look at in that is, what is my goal? What do I want to accomplish? So often, when we're meeting with another person, all we really care about is making sure that they know they're wrong and I'm right. Okay, that's what the point of it is, right? They just would listen to me and listen to my point. They would know the truth. And that's why sometimes we just need to tell them it more often. 
or maybe tell them a different way, or maybe be a little louder, or anything along that line. And we can get that point across. But here we have, in Matthew eighteen fifteen, kind of a, a, a motivation that should be there for us. He says, moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. Uh, excellent uh, reminder that often we find ourselves talking with someone that doesn't uh, present themselves as part of the problem and they're not part of the solution. And as a result, we might be sharing some things that are causing more problems because we're bringing somebody else into it. So Jesus says, go to the person you have the issue with. And here's the key that I'm looking for here. And if he hears you, you have gained your brother. It's not if he hears you, you have won the argument. The whole point is not being right. The whole point is doing right and restoring a relationship because that is what's going to really genuinely help us move forward in our relationship. It's not unusual for uh, us to, to recognize that we get caught up on being right and making sure our rights are handled. But if you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and we'll kind of close with that in just a few minutes, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul is exhorting them to realize that there are some times when we just simply have to, to trust God and not be so concerned about hanging on to those things that we think are right. Because when we do that, we only communicate to those that are without, those that are outside of us, that we're selfish and that we are self-righteous and that we don't have a God that provides for us and we don't have enough wisdom within our groups to help us settle these kind of matters. And that's why we go to court with one another trying to get what we want, what we deserve type of thing. So the next thing is number four, accepting the agreement. When we are working with a uh, couple parties, uh, depending upon the situation, we will uh, typically sit down with them and help them write an actual agreement that shares how they had concluded in regard to their mediation. Uh, this will be their their ideas. It, it, it involves these types of things. One, it involves really what did God do in this time together? What scriptures motivated our hearts to work together? What were some areas we were convicted that we confessed and we forgave? What were some action items that we started working on together? And then finally, what are some action items we plan to do going forward? So the whole idea is that there's some agreement so that it's not just an issue of people airing their, uh, their issues with one another and them all saying, well, we're just going to agree to disagree. We're working towards something to find out, okay, what are we going to agree on? And uh, finally, what we agree on is how do we then present this to others uh, once we are done uh, with, a, with a situation of, of, of agreement. But in Nehemiah's time, it says uh, this in verse 12, so they said, we will restore it and we'll require nothing from them. We will do as you say. Uh, and then Nehemiah says, then I called the priests and required an oath from them that they would do according to his promise. Uh, it's it's, it's very helpful to make sure we understand what we're agreeing to. And I think Nehemiah patterns well for that. It wasn't just say, okay, I heard him say it. Now I, I got that out of the words. We, we, we got what we wanted. And so we're going to uh, just uh, hold them to that. 
and we'll do that sometimes. Uh, you know, you said, and you know, so someone who never has an opportunity to change their mind on anything or really think about something. So Nehemiah wanted to bring the priests in and make sure, okay, this is what we're going to do, right? Right, okay, we agree on that, right, right. So it's not a, okay, yeah, I know I said that, but this is what I meant, okay, to get it clarified in regard to it. And then verse 13, he says, And all the assembly said, Amen, and praised the Lord, uh, than the people did according to this promise. Ultimately, what happened here is you had a situation that could have blown the doors off of everything that Nehemiah had done. All the work they had done to get everyone working together on the wall, all the work that they had done to try to preserve themselves from the threats from without, all could have been ruined and set aside because of internal conflict. I love preaching to a church like yourself that doesn't have internal conflict, okay? Because this gives you some idea to sit back and say, well, this will never happen to me. (laughs) Uh, And maybe God blessing that it doesn't. But hopefully you will, with the same determination to say, okay, we've heard the word, and we recognize when we really ramp up the uh, doing the things that God wants us to do, that the enemy ramps up what he's going to do. And the harder we work, the more tired we get, and the more potential we have of uh, being overcome by those things that irritate us and fr- frustrate us. And so we just encourage you to, to think through the value of recognizing in your pursuit of building a disciple-making church to be reminded that there are some key principles on how to love one another even when they are not that loving, that there are biblical principles that can, can drive a situation when they are uh, having some difficulties. Uh, some of the, the last point is just talking about how that uh, Nehemiah really supported the, this decision with his own actions. You will see that he talks about in that first portion in verse 15 what he didn't do. He didn't receive the same things of governors had. Despite the fact that he had come in and accomplished more than any other governor had in the times that they've been there in a short period of time, he did not take the same kind of income that they had. Why? Because he recognized they didn't have the resources to do that. And at that time, he didn't need the resources to do that. And so what Nehemiah did was he avoided getting what was just for him. He deserved that as far as that. It was a precedent as to how it should be done. But the point was Nehemiah used discernment and love to interact with the people to reinforce the fact we need to do things differently. Maybe there seems to be the right way, which would entail uh, you know, certain processes, etc. Because there is, there is a pattern where we, we need to be responsible. And we need to make sure we don't get ourselves into debt. And we need to, uh, you know, work diligently and avoid those type of things. And there's no question about that. I don't think this passage is reinforcing any laziness or irresponsibility in spending or any of those type of things. I don't think it's an enabling passage at all. But I think what it is is a reminder to us of what grace and mercy could look like. He also supported the solution by what he did. And uh, chapter 5, uh, just to read those verses in 16 through 18, uh, as he says this, uh, more, uh, let's see, sorry, 
Indeed, I also continued the work on this wall, and we did not buy any land. All my servants were gathered there for the work, and at my table were 150 Jews and rulers, besides those who came to us from the nations around us. Now, that which we prepared daily was one ox and six choice sheep. Also, fowl were prepared for me, and once every ten days, an abundance of all kinds of wine. Yet, in spite of this, I did not demand the governor's provisions because the bondage was heavy on this people. And uh, he, uh, so he's explaining that in the midst of all this, he still showed generosity. He showed generosity, and it's, it's different than <laughs> if, you, if you read the book of Esther and how the Esther had, uh, the king there had all his parties and all that type of stuff. This was genuinely designed to, to help the needs of those that were in leadership, help them work through different things, not just to have a great big party. But he recognized the investment in those particular areas. So what is said of us in times of conflict? 1 Corinthians 6, 6 through 9, uh, it, uh, in regard to material issues. And like I said, there will be times when we struggle with that in, in our disciple-making process, where we have to share resources. Uh, we have situations where we want to spend money differently than someone else. Uh, we have a situation where we might want to do things differently than somebody else. There might be a situation where we uh, might want to have worship a different way than what we might want. And all those things are substantive issues that uh, can be an opportunity to work through, to defer, and to, to learn to work together for the glory of God. But what it happens when we are so caught up on making sure we get what we want, we forget that we have a Heavenly Father that provides for us. And so whether it's a material thing, for example, a monetary thing, or, or whether it's uh, something else that would fall into a similar category, is that when we are able to work through those situations as believers and do so in such a way that shows that we love each other, then we communicate to those around us that we genuinely have a Heavenly Father who loves us, that provides for us. We're not fighting because uh, uh, we're not getting those desires that we have because we know we can get those desires met by a Heavenly Father. And then in regard to uh, personal issues, Matthew eighteen twenty one through 35, uh, you remember the account possibly. Peter comes up to Jesus and says, How often should I forgive my brother if he sins against me? And Peter, of course, was coming up with what he thought was a very generous number. He said, should I do that up to seven times? And Jesus says, I do not say up to seven times. I say up to 70 times seven or 77, depends upon uh, how you understand that. But at any rate, whatever the number is, I'm sure Jesus didn't say, okay, have your little calculator out there, and when you get to the 77th or the 490th time, uh, then you can just let them have it, okay? Don't forgive, no mercy, you know, be bitter, all those type of things. I, that is not what I understand Jesus saying when he gives this number. What I understand him saying, he's given a number that hopefully Peter can't keep up with, that one he isn't sitting there keeping track. Now, there are people I have heard and known of that keep track of every offense that they've ever experienced. Uh, they have it all on their computer, or they got it logged someplace. It's in their journal, or whatever, and God has encourage us not to let sun go down on our wrath. 
God has encouraged us to not have those long lists of things, but rather work towards reconciliation. So we have what we call a short sin accounts, of course, with God, but also short offense accounts with other people. Because resentment and bitterness are things that God has told us to put away from us and uh, to keep from our lives. So uh, the personal issues, Jesus then goes on and gives a little story for uh, Peter and those around him to think about. And it's that story about a, a rich man, king, that had a, a coming, he was calling in all of his debts and uh, evaluating them, and there is one particular servant that for some reason, have no idea why he got this far in debt, but I mean, you're talking a lifetime worth of money you could never repay. And so the king was going to go ahead and throw him into jail and have him work off whatever he could to pay, pay that back. He'd never be able to pay it back all. And so the man begged and pleaded, please have mercy on me and I'll repay it all. Give me some time. Now, I think what is interesting here is that I don't think the guy really understood how far in debt he was or how sincere he was, really, with asking for mercy. Because after he was forgiven, he goes right outside that, uh, uh, it's almost like it's an immediate thing, finds somebody else that owes him some money, probably a significant amount, maybe a year's worth or whatever, and he says, you need to pay me back. Uh, And the guy says, same thing, give me time, I'll pay you back. Reality there is that person probably legitimately could have paid that back, but he would not be patient, threw him in jail. That word comes back to the, uh, the original person who was in debt that had forgiven, and he draws this servant back in and says, you've been a wicked servant, and uh, he rescinds that forgiveness. Now, the mercy that is expressed here, the thoughts that I have from this is that when that first servant went out and had been extended all that mercy, he had just come from, as you would, the throne room where he had been forgiven something beyond his capacity. How much that is like our relationship with Jesus Christ. If we truly understand, when we stand before a holy God, and we want to bring all our righteousnesses before him and say, uh, God, this is how much righteousness I have. Just give me a little more time and I will be more righteous and acceptable kind of a thing, right? And so we get to that point where we are uh, thinking that we, we can actually make up for that, uh, that deficit. But we know that all our righteousness is like a filthy rag. We all fall short of the glory of God. And so there's not an issue that I'm just not good enough. I'm not good at all. That I am so far away from the righteousness of God. It wasn't an issue that that person that was in debt to the king was just a, a little deficient in his ability to repay. He was unable at all to pay. And so if that man had come out of that throne room recognizing that he had genuinely been forgiven, his attitude of mercy and appreciation would have been greater than, um, than anyone could imagine. But my thought is, is he just didn't get it. I wonder if sometimes we just don't get it. When we're wanting to harbor bitterness, anger, and frustration with somebody else, and we don't want to be merciful towards them, I wonder if we really understand the righteousness of God and how far away we are from that and how much we need his mercy to be able to have a relationship with him and to have eternal life.
And I think that if we truly understand that, and sometimes this is why when we get up in the morning and we're adoring God and we're reading the Word of God and we're thinking about all the wonderful things God does, it's beneficial for us to realize the gospel's power in our life and the gospel need in our life because we will run into those individuals. It might be on the way to work as we're driving and this person is just irritating us to no end in how they're driving or that individual once we meet at work that, that provides that problem. It might be a family member that all of a sudden is getting on our nerves or has never got off our nerves and uh, we're, we're struggling with these things and primarily because we have forgotten the amount of mercy that God has showed for us. Father, as I think of our needs here today, and I think of my friends and just the uh, privilege of being able to share your word with them, I ask, Lord, that um, you know, possibly as a church they may not have any uh, known conflict, but maybe individuals are struggling with showing mercy. Maybe individuals feel like they've been wronged. Maybe individuals uh, have someone accusing them of being wrong. And, Lord, I pray that as they, they look at your word that they'll understand the truth that you want us to work towards reconciliation. You want us to desire to deal with conflict in a biblical way. You want us to be able to display before those around us that we are people have, that have a heavenly Father and that we have brothers and sisters in Christ that we love dearly and that we know how to work with them even when they're different from us and then when they do things that hurt us. Father, we pray for anyone that might be here that maybe they came into uh, the service or listening online and they've thought that maybe it was a, a, a workable thing where they take their righteousness and they combine it with your righteousness. And between the two, that will make it all right. But Father, I pray that they will, through the understanding of your scripture and, and the conviction of your Holy Spirit, for them to realize that that isn't how it works, that there is none righteous, no, not one. And that the only way that we can receive righteousness is for us to humbly accept the full work of Jesus Christ, with none of it being our works, that we are genuinely receiving a full gift, not one that's partially purchased through our own righteousness, but one that is only available through us, through uh, the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.